This is episode 165 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 165 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have Seth Ferguson on the show, and this this episode was a lot of fun. I mean, they all are, but this one was specifically interesting because it's a Canadian investing in the U.S. Again, uh, Seth Ferguson was on the show, and he talked about buying large-scale multifamily between 100 and 300 units south of the border, how he started funds and syndicated his investments, raising funds in both Canada and the U.S., and some of the uh, the details that surround that and how that's done. Uh, so this is a lot bigger scale investing that we typically have talked about on this podcast. And uh, it was just so fascinating. Seth's actually hosting a Canadian real estate multifamily event in Toronto. And uh, he shared the link with me. He said that he's going to pass a discount code on to the people who check out this podcast. So if you check out multifamilyconference.ca with a promo code Heinz, you'll get, uh, I've, I'm told you'll get a discount on that. Um, there's no compensation to me for sharing that with you. I'm just sharing that with you as uh, information. So uh, definitely check that out if you're interested in multifamily, but more importantly, check out this episode and uh, hear what Seth has to say. He really is a wealth of knowledge, and I'm sure there's a lot that's going to be learned. Once again, I just want to recommend if you are new to investing or new to this podcast, go right back to episode one and work your way through. The fundamental knowledge learned in those first 10 to 20 episodes is uh, really a great foundation to build from, and uh, it's highly recommended. I know the people who have done that have greatly appreciated the experience and have benefited because of that. And I get a lot of feedback saying as much. One last request as usual, please just take a moment to hit the like, subscribe and notification bell and leave a comment if you're watching on YouTube. And if you're an audio listener, please leave a rating and review. Five stars would be greatly appreciated just to help more people find the show and help it help more people. So without further ado, let's jump into episode 165 with Seth Ferguson. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Seth Ferguson on the show. And Seth, you have a lot of media that you do. You're a popular guy. Uh, but for those who don't know you, uh, can you give me the uh, the backstory? It's all not true. Yeah. <laughs> it's, all, it's all made up. No, yeah. Um, people see me all sorts of places. Like um, in the GTA, I've got a cable uh, TV show called Real Estate Simplified uh, that we do. I've got a YouTube channel talking about multifamily investing. Uh, ran a podcast for three years. And then we've got a huge conference coming up called the Multifamily Conference. So if you're searching for real estate, you've probably seen my face at least somewhere on the internet. The interesting part is that I didn't. I didn't even know you had the TV show or the podcast until we met through uh, through Irwin, obviously. Yeah. And uh, that's why it's it's good to run in these circles and you, know, you meet meet uh, really cool people, as you've uh, you've put it. Yeah. When when you get back, we'll have to have you on the TV show. Yeah, that'd be cool, man. Yeah, I'm not sure when that's be, that's going to be. We're going to enjoy the warm weather for a while, yeah. and uh, and then figure that out. But um, yeah, could you tell me a little bit about yourself? Just uh, I mean, as an investor, like tell me where you're at now, and then let's let's dig into a little bit about how you got there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I'm a uh, reformed uh, single family home investor. So like, um, what happened was before real estate was even in the picture. Um, I, I was trying to make the NHL as a hockey referee. Um, that's what I was doing. I, I was in the States doing it full time, working a whole bunch of different leagues. And then uh, I came back uh, and still wanting to pursue my, my hockey ambitions, uh, but I needed a real job. So I figured, hey, real estate agents, they set their own hours. They'll be so easy 
to uh, to do hockey and, and sell houses at the same time. So I went and got my real estate license. Uh, my dad owned a brokerage at the time and uh, started working there. And you know, I, I was making good money, um, what most people would consider really good money. Uh, but what I realized is like, as, as fast as the money was coming in, it was going out just as quickly uh, to like, I had the nice car and all that stuff because I was, you know, dumb in my 20s. Um, so I, I, I realized I needed to have something left over. Um, and then I started reading uh, books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, started really educating myself about the uh, the investing side of real estate. And um, I just figured at the end of the day, I know that product better than anybody else because I was selling it on a daily basis. So I started acquiring single family homes. Um, and then I got to a point where uh, the scale did not work any. Uh, it was like I was banging my head against the wall trying to scale it. Um, and then I realized I needed to make a switch. So we, we can go into that a little bit later on. But that's kind of a, a, a bit of a backstory in terms of how, how I got started in uh, real estate. So how long ago was it like your first your first property purchase as an investor? Oh, boy, that was a long time ago. Um, you don't look that old, so you you must be doing something right. No, well, I got the gray hairs. So if dude, I got way more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kids will do that to you. Like waking up at three a.m. to a uh, quiet, uh, crying baby, it will put gray yeah. hairs on your head. No, I'm. Yeah. Uh, how old am I now? I'm 35 now. Pretty scary, eh? Oh, very we're the same scary. age, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very scary. Um, yeah, no, no. It was. Um, I can't even remember. Um, I was like in my 10 late- plus. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think I was in my late twenties. Okay. I, but I, I can't, honestly, I, I don't even remember the year. Um, I, I remember what it was. It was a duplex conversion, but I can't mm-hmm. remember the year. Okay. And now you're, now you're into multifamilies, right? Like, so you, you kind of got through the scale of the, the singles realizing that they don't scale easy with retail <laughs> banks. You have to get into commercial, the commercial side of things. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, uh, it was so tough. Um, because like, you know, you're showing good income on paper. Um, but, uh, what a lot of people will realize, and I'm, I'm sure like you hear this all the time, like, you know, if you're acquiring single family homes in a hot market, the, the cash flow is almost non-existent. So you're equity rich, cash flow poor, uh, but mm-hmm. that doesn't look good on paper. So you may have 300 grand in equity, but uh, you've got zero cash mm-hmm. flow. And you know, I remember one year, uh, the drain out to the sewer got busted through by a tree branch and that was like eight grand to replace it. Yeah. So that wipes out three or four years of cash flow with that one property. And, and yeah. it's like, okay, there's, so you, uh, the turning point for everything uh, was when my son was born, Talon, um, I, I'd been struggling trying to grow and scale for a while. And as soon as he was born, I'm not sure if you had the same experience, but like you hold your kid for the first time and then like your life instantly changes and you want to like do more and be better um, like for, for your new baby, that that's kind of the, the instant change I had. So then I started thinking, okay, well, I know real estate is the right asset to buy. Cause I'd made more money with the real estate investments than I ever had, um, with like working like in, for like an hourly or, or, or a salary. Um, but it was just single family investing was not the right niche or, or niche. So, um, I started looking at office, industrial, uh, retail, uh, and multifamily and multifamily made a whole lot of sense. Um, it, it was 
you know, I, I looked at how it performed in downturns, incredibly stable. It, it outperforms all the other asset classes I just mentioned. You know, you just look at the past three recessions. Um, and, uh, and it was something I really understood um, because of my residential sales background and my single family background. So it, all the boxes just kind of started getting ticked. And I'm like, you know what? This is what we're going to do. And I think multifamily makes a lot of sense to a lot of people in, in this audience. Yeah. And, and you don't have to really think about it too difficult. I mean, everyone always needs a place to live. And the more basic of housing, like a multifamily complex where the apartments are very basic, they're not as frilly as like a single family home uh, or a nicer you know, condo apartment. Those are going to be the ones that are always going to have renters because people who are in the higher income brackets will, you know, maybe shift down to a cheaper place and they're still in yours, right? Of course, yeah. if you're on the high end, then the people who are in the high end bracket might now say, nah, I don't want to pay for that anymore. So um, I like the idea of basic housing. This idea of like buying trailer parks has recently been on my mind. And I'm like, that's even more basic housing. Like <laughs> You just pull up your, your trailer and you can stay there. Um, yeah, maybe not so yeah. good in Canada though, for year round living, but uh, certainly down south. Yeah, like, like I, I've got a lot of friends who uh, who are doing uh, like some mobile home parks. A, a bunch mm-hmm. are in self storage, but like you just, I don't want to get your video demonetized on YouTube. So I'll just say, with what's happened over the past couple of years, I think it's been uh, very apparent. Um, you know, the, uh, like what really matters to people. You know, people had to close up their offices, they had to close up their mm-hmm. retail businesses. But like you said, everybody still needs a place to live. And that's the Mm -hmm. last thing to go. So Mm -hmm. if you're, you know, you could have empty offices, but people will still be at home and they're still paying, um, you know, their their rent to you if you're a multifamily owner. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, multi makes a ton of sense at a concept level. The problem now, as you're likely aware, is the price point. People stopped talking about cap rates. Now they're just talking price per door and that yeah. number is going up and up. It's it's probably becoming, you know, I haven't run the uh, current, you know, what do I have to pay per door in Hamilton, say, today. Um, yeah. But I, I think that it's pretty hard to have cash flow if you're going to go full 75% financing. Well, you wouldn't even get 75% financing conventionally. Yeah, yeah, like, and that could we could talk for hours about uh, you know the impact of rent control and everything. Like, I'm a big value add proponent, um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, that just you know Ontario is an interesting market. It's incredibly hot, and then plus we have the added layer of rent control. Uh, so we've got a couple of things we have to stick handle through for sure. So. Where did you focus? Like what, what markets um, have you focused on? And then what markets are you looking at now? Yeah. So, so um, well, I actually went south of the border um, to, to look uh, as opposed to staying in Ontario. Uh, you know, I mentioned rent control. Uh, that, that's a big one for me. Um, you know, if you're going to employ the value add strategy, I believe if you're an investor risking capital in the market, you should be able to receive an appropriate return. Uh, rent control stifles that. And uh, in, in my opinion, I think there's a, a number of studies have shown this. It actually makes the price of living worse for tenants uh, with rent control. But I wasn't a fan of that. Uh, so we, we primarily hunt in uh, Florida and Texas. Uh, there's a number of markets there uh, that we're aggressively pursuing. Um, and you know we've looked at some deals in Oklahoma. 
um, and some other states. But um, but yeah, like I'm a huge, huge fan of the southern states. You look at the huge demographic shift occurring right now in the U.S. Uh, people are fleeing the coast. So, you know, California, New York, they're going where the jobs are and where we have a more realistic uh tax policy. So, you know, you're seeing everybody uh, leave. So uh, Arizona is popular. Texas is popular. Florida is popular. Um, and and there's so much growth happening in those markets. You know, GDP is on fire. Job creation is uh, through the roof. And I think for the next 20, 30 years, uh, we're going to be riding this wave in those states uh, because, you know, my opinion is you can't tax a state um, into a state of um, you know financial uh, prosperity, uh, which is what's no. happening in California. Like you can't just levy no. taxes to try and fix an issue. Um, and I think people are are recognizing that and leaving yeah. and uh, setting up shop elsewhere. What was the Ronald Reagan quote? The uh, the most terrifying nine words you can hear is "I'm from the government and I'm here to help." <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, it's true. I mean, minimum wage yeah. backfires because you can't. You know, it's as similar as rent control. You can't dictate what a worker's worth. Like, if minimum wage is fourteen dollars and a worker's only worth twelve, that doesn't make you pay that twelve dollar worker fourteen. That makes you tell that twelve dollar worker to go home and hire a yeah. machine <laughs> or a foreigner uh, to do it. I mean, no one's going to pay more than someone's worth. It's ultimately what it comes down to. So all these policies tend to backfire. I agree with you. So, yeah. so if you find states where the policies make sense and the ideology makes sense, then I think what you're kind of getting at is that there seems to be a longer term horizon uh, of, of uh, economic prosperity or a seemingly, no one can predict anything for sure, but. Yeah, for, for, for sure. And then you look at uh, just, the more of the nuts and bolts type of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, in Ontario um, or BC, you know, if a tenant stops paying you, you know, it's a long process to uh, get them out. If you have issues mm-hmm. um, in a market like Texas, uh, it's it's relatively easy. So, and a lot of people, and uh, we've had huge debates on the TV show about this, but um, I find in the media, you know, most people take the, uh, take the side of the tenant being evicted, but what about the 99.9% of the other tenants who want a safe place to live, mm-hmm. who want to have a, a great environment? If there's one bad apple, they should be removed for the benefit mm-hmm. of the community. Um, right. I don't know why we're fighting so hard to keep bad apples in a place where it's just, um, you know, lowering the experience and the the happiness of everybody else involved. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like, and, and for those like you know, we could go on forever about it, but I like uh, it. yeah, just, yeah. yeah. I, I like a little bit of the, you know, the ideological discussion because it's important that people, if people wrap their head around this and more people, you know, I guess will vote in a way that, you know, makes things better for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, what's, since you brought it up, um, what are evictions like in, in Texas and Florida? I, I've, I've heard little bits, but uh, get your take on it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, basically the, for Canadian, most of your listeners are Canadian, right? Yeah. We're primarily Canadian okay. audience. So, so the best example in Canada would be, it's more like Alberta, right? In Alberta, you have a lot, like Alberta is like the Canada's Texas almost. Um, so you have a lot more, uh, you know, there's no long red tape process to follow. Um, you know, obviously you have to give your notice and everything, but if you don't pay, uh, you know, you give notice and then uh, sure enough, you're, you're uh, evicted. So is it like a 15 day from when they don't pay or a month, within a month of when they don't pay? Yeah, you know what? Um, off the top of my head, I can't even remember because we we use like our management company deals with all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, you so. don't even get involved, right? So yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's a good question. I should probably just Google it real quick. And nah, I'll have a, yeah. See, I actually kind of like that you don't know because why should you, right? You know, you know, you know that it's favorable, but you know, the nuts and bolts, that's why you hire management Yeah. Um, to know the forms, to know how to, how to do it. I have heard, you know, varying stories, but I, I do believe it's like in less than a month in Florida. I'm not sure about Texas, but I can't imagine it'd be much different there. Yeah, I, I I don't want to tell you a number and, and be wrong. But yeah, yeah of it, it's 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 relatively uh, quick as opposed yeah. to the months and months and months and months uh, in Ontario. Okay. And yeah. what type of okay? So in Florida, for instance, are you buying in Tampa, Orlando, Miami, uh, yeah, all of yeah. the above? So, <laughs> yeah, so so we've got we've got a sweet deal in uh, Orlando, um, and it's basically like a, a resort. So it's right on a lake. Um, and, uh, so we've got like kayak rentals there. You can rent like paddle boat boats go out. Um, but you're living there full time. So it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's amazing. Um, but, but yeah, so we're aggressively hunting, uh, Tampa, um, is a big market. Um, uh, DFW, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, we're looking in Austin, um, you know, j- just, uh, you know, we have our own criteria that we follow in yeah. terms of which markets we're going to look at. Um, and then obviously you take that macro market and, and you go down, uh, to the sub market. Um, but, uh, you know, we always look for, you know, where's the closest, uh, Kroger store, uh, you know, where's, uh, you know, where's all the banks, uh, you know, where are all the, the nicer restaurants, that sort of thing. Um, when we're looking at a location, what's Kroger's. Oh, it's like a grocery store. Okay. Yeah. Down here it's Publix. It's uh, Publix. Yeah. 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 So, so, you know, all, all those things, you know, you're looking, where's the Starbucks, right? Yeah. As opposed to Tim Hortons, uh, you know, uh, yeah. that sort of thing. So that's what you're kind of looking forward. I mean, I, I hear so many people reference like where's Walmart or Lowe's putting their new location. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Right. Cause you know, you want, um, you want to have all the amenities there. People don't like to travel and drive. Uh, to go places. So if you can uh, acquire a property that's close to everything, you know, great standard of living, walkability is, is a big thing as well. Um, and, uh, you know, that's whether you're mm-hmm. buying a place to live or you're renting a place to live, you're looking at the same stuff. Like, yeah. how is this going to impact my life? Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, you know, I want to be close. Yeah. And you're doing multifamily. So there's a lot of working class people that maybe don't even have their own cars. Right. So some of them want public transit stuff along those lines. I mean, class wise, what would you say you're, you're typically buying? Is it a class C B? No. Yeah. So like, um, we're really going for like, uh, you know, B minus like a C plus okay. kind of thing. And uh, we're really t- like looking to take it to like a B B plus, and- um, could you just break that down a little bit about you know wh- how you determine it to be that? I mean, I know there's a, some subjectivity there, but um, <laughs> what you would do? Give me an example and what yeah, it, yeah, what it for, is to start, and then what you would do. Yeah, for, for sure. So, like uh, you know, uh, a C plus B minus. You're probably looking at '90s uh, to late '80s vintage, uh, depending. Um, and like like you said, the the classes are very subjective. So one person's B minus may be another person's B plus mm-hmm. or. Uh, C plus. It always made me feel um, confused when people talked about it. I'm like, am I missing something? <laughs> Who has the like yeah. the rubric no, for this? 
<laughs> there is no rubric. So, and, and that's why, like, um, one thing when people first get started is they're like, oh, yeah, you know, the broker's telling me it's a B. Plus. Well, it's like, okay, well, have you seen it yourself? Uh, because, you know, what one person calls it will be very different. Yeah. Uh, but gen- I'm going to speak very generally because we have to take into account um, the vintage of the property, the year it was built. We also have to take into account a deferred maintenance. Uh, you know, was, mm-hmm. has it been renovated? Because, for instance, we could have an early 90s construction, uh, but that has undergone a complete renovation. It wouldn't be a B anymore. Like It would probably be an A if everything was redone. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's very subjective. But generally speaking, you're looking at uh, late 80s, early uh, into the 90s for a B asset. Um, in a C asset, you're going to be you know early 80s, even uh, late 70s. Uh, and then A, we're getting into uh, the 2000s. And double uh, A, uh, you're always looking at location as well. So a double A property, prime location, brand new construction, uh, the best amenities offered. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's your, your top tier of property. Right. Yeah, and you you said you're going from C plus uh, B minus uh, up, up yeah, a half yeah, a grade. Because, yeah, like and and there's four uh, types of strategies, right? For investing, you've got core, core plus, value add, and opportunistic. Um, I'm a big fan of the value add strategy just because it has a good balance between uh, you know the risk involved and the returns. Um, you know, with the core strategy, um, you're acquiring that double A property in the best location. Mm-hmm. It's it's brand new. There's no nothing to do. You just buy it and yeah. sit on it. Um, core plus, you're doing some minor stuff. Value add, you're going yeah. in uh, physical renovations, operational efficiencies. So you know, maybe changing out some of the staff, changing yeah. the branding, um, driving up that NOI, doing uh, you know exterior interior renovations, that sort of stuff. Um, I, I think that's to me, at least, that's the best balance between risk and uh, return. Um, you know, opportunistic when you're buying, you know, totally empty assets or like thirty percent occupied, the risk goes through the roof. And yeah. uh, I, you know, for for me, that that's not my cup of tea. Though I know people who uh, who are doing quite yeah. well. Yeah. Depends on how big, right? Like how big we talk. And if it's a hundred units and you got thirty percent occupancy, I'd say that's pretty darn risky. Uh, yeah, whereas- but. Uh, yeah, there are people I, I that'll people do it, right? Doing yeah. It. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess if you have proof of concept and you have the money to to float it until you get it done, or you can move fast enough uh, to get a you know rentable. Yeah, like, like it, it all depends on you know what you're dealing with. Like w- with that type of property, uh, you're going in om- almost all cash at that point, mm-hmm. um, and, and the clock starts ticking. You know, with the value add, uh, generally speaking, like you're going to be able to get a conventional financing, a conventional debt yeah. on the deal. Um, and, uh, you know, depending on how you do it with the bridge, uh, you know, you, you can, um, you can usually, uh, take advantage of, uh, everything a bridge offers you, you can, uh, finance, uh, some or all of the renovations as well. Yeah. So you're, so you're going to add in, um, like institutional to fun- finance, those renovations, or you're going to add in some sort of secondary financing to cover that. <laughs> yeah. It, like, you know, uh, a lot of people now, uh, just way, just with the way rates are like that, they'll, they'll acquire the property with a bridge loan. Okay. Um, and then, uh, you know, change out of that in a couple of years, once they've gone through their value add process right. and, and with the bridge, you know, you can add in some of your rentals. Yeah. Well, you're kind of referring to sort of private or semi-private um, oh, yeah. money, right? Yeah. I, I hear that, that terminology, it's just a little bit different down here and how people refer to it. Yeah. But, uh, okay. So, you know, are you early on in your process of buying down here or have you got quite a few under your belt now? 
Yeah. So I, in the, in the grand scheme of things, like for instance, at, at the conference, we've got a guy on stage who's almost at 2 billion, um, in, in the asset asset value? management. <laughs> yeah. Almost 2 billion. Um, I, I am a very, very small fish, uh, compared to that, like yeah. a very small fish. Um, I think everyone to, listening to this is a very small fish compared to that. Yeah. So, so there, there, there's no way. However, um, you know, like we're, we're aggressively hunting for deals. Like the plan is after this conference, um, you know, we'll, we'll go on a bit of an acquisition, um, not, not a binge, but, but we're going to be, uh, seriously looking at uh, doing a couple deals. Yeah. So conceptually, if we're talking about doing a value add project, you're going to find something that's probably what 90% plus occupied and <laughs> It's going to need work on the individual units and you're going to allow natural turnover to happen or are you going to force some turnover yourself? Yeah, it, it's it's all on a deal by deal basis. Like it really depends. Um, you know, for example, you may have you may have a, a property where it's being mismanaged and you have some bad apples in there. You're going to go in and get them out uh, to uh, start to affect the um uh, just the feel of the property and and everybody involved, mm-hmm. um, and you know typically when you have that happen, the other residents will tell you point blank who the who the problems are because they they don't want them living where they're living anyway. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, um, for instance, you you can even be in the high eighties for occupancy um, and still get conventional uh, debt on the property. Uh, once you get below that, um, you know you're generally going uh, to some other type of debt product. So you could uh, bridge it or or something like that. And I mean, I'm sure you can make sense of that. You just have to adjust your price that you're paying if you're going to pay private private money or expensive money on that. Well, well, and I just want to clarify, like uh, uh, a bridge loan is not uh, private funds. So it doesn't Uh, need to be private. Well, I guess it could be, but you're getting institutional bridge loan? Yeah. So so a a bridge loan is really... uh, uh, quite simply, it's it's like a short term product. So you're going to br- you're paying more for um, you're paying more for the money, um, but the, the the terms are more flexible. Like it's not a Fannie or a Freddie, um, so you're able to go in with a higher um, you know more leverage, um, and the terms are more flexible in terms of um, you know your debt service coverage ratio and all that sort of stuff. So it gives you the freedom. Obviously, in exchange for you know the price you're paying for the money, uh, but it allows you to go in, do your do your business plan for two years, and then the goal is to uh, to roll that into uh, some sort of conventional uh, debt, like a Fannie or a Freddie. Okay, so when it's when it's a bridge loan, then so you can do institutional. Um, what kind of yeah. qualification requirements? Is it all based on projected income, and are they ballooning a payment at the end, or are you paying consistently throughout? How's that all? Yeah. Work? Yeah, so uh, you're like you're paying your you have your payments consistently through, um, but you know it's uh, let's say you do a two year term or a three year term, you've got that balloon at the end um, that that you have to you know that's why you're going to roll it into conventional, um, but but yeah, like it's a lot more uh, tailored to the specific uh, situation, right? So if if you have a property that's teetering on um, unstabilized, let's say. So, you know, maybe you're just barely breaking even, but you're going in with a solid business plan to, you know, turn things around and you have a solid team, uh, you know, a, a bridge lender is going to look at that and say, okay, um, you know, we're okay with the risk uh, involved in loaning the money because of X, Y, and Z or X, Y, and Z, um, you know, that this is what we're willing to do there. Okay. Good, good to know. So would these be the same companies that will do bridge loans as, as we'll do conventional financing, um, or is it different lenders altogether? 
uh, you're going to have some different lenders. You can have, uh, you know, you can work with some smaller community banks. Mm. Um, things are a little bit different in the U.S. than with Canada. Um, so, it, you know, you can deal with the more national lenders or you can deal with a smaller community uh, type of banks. And depending on the property, you might end up getting a, a better, uh, you know, a, a better uh, product from a community bank because they, yeah. they know the area and they understand the uh, what you're doing. Yeah, similar to to like our credit unions in Canada, yeah. they just know those areas better. Um, and just for anyone listening, Fannie and Freddie, you're referring to basically government government programs. Yes, or exactly. government insured loans. So they uh, just, they give you better deals. Just like CMHC, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same concept, yeah. just uh, other side of the border. So is that typically your strategy? You're typically going in, and once you've got the building improved, you are going for that that government sponsored or the government insured uh, debt. That, that's that's the best kind of money you can get. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, th- you can't beat the rates si- similar to somebody going CMHC now, um, yeah. you know, they've got their criteria, but once you mm-hmm. get it, like it's the cheapest money you can get. Um, yeah. so yeah, I, I think that's everybody's goal, um, is to roll into conventional and-, and then you just ride it out until you hit your targets and then you'll sell. Okay. So you start conventional in an ideal world. Um, you slowly turn some units over in an ideal world, um, maybe force a few out if they're bad apples. And as you get your rents up and you can satisfy the cap rate requirement or the loan to value requirements that at that time, you will go back and do the, the, um, government sponsored or the government insured debt. For, for, for sure. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't put it like we just gradually let the units turn. Like you want to condense your value add period to, you know, 12, 18, 24 months. Um, because, you know, if you're going for that, uh, the, the ultimate debt, like that government backed, uh, type of loan, um, you want to have your property like running, like all pistons firing. So you're, you're going to acquire the property, do your value add for, you know, 18, 24 months. Do everything you can do, um, and then you're going to put on that long-term debt. Um, and you know, if if you do everything right, you've got a higher valuation now because you've driven that NOI, um, and maybe you've moved it from a you know a C plus to a B, um, and that's going to put you in a different cap rate bracket. Uh, you can return some money to uh, the investors at that point, uh, and then you can ride it out. That's a good segue into uh, what I wanted to ask you next: is oh, yeah. what's your typical structure? Uh, you know, are you are you syndicating this between investors for your down payments? Are you coming in with private money for your down payments? Uh, combination of all the above. Um, tell me about it. Yeah, syndication is a beautiful uh, structure uh, because what it does is it allows you know passive investors to pool their funds um, and invest in you know a high quality real estate asset and get all the benefits of ownership. Um, you know, for instance, one of the common misconceptions is, you know, when people are doing um, some smaller deals, they'll do a JV agreement, a joint venture. And uh, the person who's maybe signing on the loan or maybe just providing the capital, they think they're they're passive. But what a lot of people don't realize is if something goes wrong, they their risk is unlimited in that deal. Um, so if the person swinging the hammer um, goes under, the lender's coming after the other party because they're 100% active. Um, their risk is unlimited. But what syndication does, as well as like a, a fund structure, um, it provides a limited risk to the passive investors. So, um, you know, just like with any investment, you're risking your invested capital, but your risk exposure stops there. Um, it's the person running the deal called the sponsor who's shouldering the, the bulk of the risk. Um, so it, it's a much 
uh, it's a much better way uh, for somebody to invest their money in real estate, uh, just with all the protections uh, the structure affords. Yeah, so you're saying that it's gift to liability. You, yes, you contribute your funds, and those are at risk, but it's not. There's no liability beyond that. It, ex- exactly. It 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 is a, a it's a, it's a much more prudent way uh, to go about deploying your capital for sure. So is this um, the digging into this a bit more? Is this like an exempt market product that you offer to Canadians or to Americans? Are you raising the funny money in Canada and then you deploying it in the U.S.? Yeah, so we've got uh, investors on both sides of the border. Um, so yeah, it, it it is through the exempt market, and we work with accredited investors. Um, and if somebody's not sure what that means, uh, it just means that you're meeting some criteria set by the government. Uh, so 200k a year in, as an individual, 300 as a couple, or you can have a million dollars of net assets, not including your primary residence. Um, so uh, the the basically what happened was uh, back in the 30s. Uh, people were getting swindled by traveling salespeople selling uh, stocks that did not exist. Uh, so the government instituted rules to make sure that if somebody was investing in securities, uh, they had the resources uh, to acquire suitable counsel, get the proper advice and not get swindled. Um, that's, that's where this uh, came about. Um, but uh, that was a bit of a tangent and I totally forget. Uh, no, no, it's, it's good. That. No, yeah. we're talking about, so, so an exempt market product. So, so yes. you are uh, raising through an EMD uh, in Canada, is that right? Or do you raise uh, outside no, of that? No. So um, in the US, um, you know, as long as you're, uh, so we will use like a 506B, for example. So you've got two different offerings. You've got a 506B and a 506C. Uh, a 506C means that you can advertise, publicly advertise your deal, um, but you can only work with accredited investors and you have to have uh, that verified. So most people will have a third-party verification um, of the accredited investor. Um, that allows you to work in the exempt market um, and advertise your deal. Uh, 506B on the other side, um, you can uh, work with some uh, unaccredited but unaccredited but sophisticated investors, um, but you're limited in that number and the bulk of your investors must be accredited. Um, but you cannot advertise your deal. So it all has to be through people you already know in your network. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, if let's say, for example, we're doing a 506B deal, uh, we can't run a Facebook ad campaign. We can't run a YouTube campaign. We can't get a billboard saying, hey, this mm-hmm. is my deal. Come invest. Uh, we would be uh, breaking a whole bunch of uh, rules and laws. Uh, but um, if somebody's already on our mailing list and we know they're an accredited investor, as soon as we have a deal, it's like, hey, listen, this is the deal we have coming up. This is what it looks like. Do you think you might want to invest in this? Um, and, uh, and, and that's, that's how you would raise capital for a 506B offering. Okay. So you've got those two different options out of the U S and are you raising in Canada as well? Oh, absolutely. So a lot of people don't realize that, uh, you can actually raise, um, money from the exempt market, uh, in Canada, um, on your own. Um, if, if you're a business, you can raise capital uh, from uh, your friends, from your family, um, from other accredited investors, um, as long as you don't exceed. And I think off the top of my head, I think it's, oh, what's the max number? I think it's 30 or 35 people. Uh, I'm, I, I'm, I may be wrong um, on the exact number, but a, a private business can go out and raise capital um, and, and be totally exempt. Um, it's right. when you start, it's, Can't it's when you, it. yeah. So it, it, very similar, like the securities laws are very similar in Canada and the U S like there, obviously there's, 
uh, many differences. Like you've got an overarching uh, federal level in the States and then you have the state laws uh, in Canada. It's, it's a provincial thing, um, but it, it's all very similar no matter which side of the border you're on. Okay. And do you, so if you want to scale that up in Canada, then you have to do the actual, um, I guess, offering memorandum if you wanted to, to be able to do that and advertise it in Canada. Yeah, for, for, for sure. And, and, you know, the, the way we're kind of going now, like we've got a pretty healthy split, um, mm-hmm. you know, between U.S. investors and Canadian investors. Um, so, you know, there will be a, a point in time where we, uh, you know, exceed everything. Um, but uh, until then, uh, yeah. you know, that's, that's how we're uh, operating. Now, the interesting thing that is kind of worth talking about is if you get Canadian investors, they've got this cross-border tax obligation. Uh-huh. Yeah, because you want right. to do like an LP for a Canadian, you want to be invested in an LP in the US because then you get the flow-through tax treatment. And this is not tax advice, so anybody uh, confirm with your accountant, but this is my understanding. Um, yeah. How have you been addressing that? Because you don't want your investors to have to file American taxes if they're these are people that just want hands-off, right? Yeah, for for sure. And I'm really glad you brought this up because no joke, probably like every day, somebody sends me a message um, asking about this. And uh, we we run a a webinar on this very topic. And almost every time we run it, somebody comes on and they've already invested in an LLC um, and you end up getting double taxed. Um, so I'll just touch on real quick. I'll, I'll do a brief summary for people who, who have no idea what we're talking about right now. Um, the most popular uh, entity in the U.S. is called an LLC. And anything you read on the internet about U.S. investing, everybody will say LLC is the way to go. But if you're a Canadian, what happens is uh, CRA, the Canada Revenue Agency, does not recognize the LLC. So you do not get any credit for taxes paid um, you know, on the south side of the border. So uh, you're going to get banged on the U.S. side and you're going to get banged on the Canadian side. So you effectively uh, pay double tax. Um, so what CRA does do is they recognize and they will give you credit for um, an LP structure. Um, different from um, when we're talking about a syndication where we have the general partnership and the limited partnership, GPLP. Um, it's a it's still called a limited partnership, but it's it's different than the GPLP within a syndication. Um, and so, with uh, you like the setup is very, very, very similar. Minor changes in verbiage and titles, uh, but it runs very, uh, very much the same as an LLC. But you're able as a Canadian to get credit for everything you've paid, and then uh, everything can flow through, and you're not paying double tax, which would obviously ruin. Um, or, or significantly impede an investment. Now, the bummer there is that now, um, if you're a Canadian and invested in an American LP, now you got to file U.S. taxes if you're treating you it as a flow through, right? So that's that's the only. Thing. Now, is there a way that you've come up with to simplify that for your investors? Um, yeah, like it's all about getting the right accountant with cross border experience. Like we, yeah. uh, like we get. Every week, somebody asking, being like, hey, like, you know, I'm interested in investing. You know, my accountant doesn't really know what they're doing uh, with this because you have to go to a specialized. So we have referrals we make um, to people that we know well who understand the cross border side exceptionally Mm -hmm. well. Um, The other thing to take into uh, consideration is uh, the whole, uh, the tax holdback. and what, what that basically is, is the U.S. government, um, you know, if you're bringing money back to Canada, they want to make sure uh, the government wants to make sure that you pay taxes in the U.S. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, about 20 percent is held back um, on the U.S. side 
just to make sure your taxes get paid and then you file to get the rest back. Um, there is a way um, to stick handle around this. Um, and that's to set up an entity on the US side. Now, everybody in every investor's setup is going to be different because of their needs. But if you, ha- let's say, set up a C Corp or something on the, on the US side and you have an EIN number, mm-hmm. um, an employment insurance number, um, that's basically the syndication or whatever it is, is paying to another US entity. There's no hold back there. Um, and then that entity will then pay mm-hmm. into Canada. So um, you have to talk with a very experienced cross-border accountant and, and get the right advice tailored for you. Um, but yeah, like, like there, there's, uh, there's some ways around it. And um, like if, if you're being serious about investing in the US, um, I would say most of our investors are keeping the money south of the border and reinvesting in other deals. Um, you know, it, it, you set it up once and, and it's going to pay you because uh, mm-hmm. you've already done the heavy lifting. So it's, it's well worth it and it's not too expensive. Okay. Very good to know. And that, that's a worthwhile discussion to have because uh, I don't think yeah. we've deep dove into that one probably since I had uh, the last American Info-focused investor on and it's been a while. So um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Now, just jumping back to the the properties, like just giving an, an example, like a recent building you would have bought, are we talking a couple hundred units? Um, you know, what what kind of size of building are we typically looking for? Yeah. So, so like our criteria is north of a hundred and sub like 300. Um, okay. Because what, what you'll find is if you're in that 70, 50 to 70 unit range, mm-hmm. you're not really there where you can have full-time staff. Okay. Um, it, it, the property doesn't really support it. Right. Um, and I, I'm a big believer that um, the tenants actually have a better product, get a better experience when you have full-time staff there. Yeah. Um, because like they're talking with the, the residents all the time. You're on top of things. The leasing agent knows the property like the back of their hand. So yeah. you're going to get better, um, you know, better conversion rates um, on your lease leads. I think there's a whole lot of benefits right. to that. Um, so once you get into that, you know, even 90, yeah. Um, 90 to hundred, uh, that's when you start getting that, that true economy of scale and per unit, like what's acceptable to you right now, when you're looking at deals, like what kind of ballpark per unit price are oh, you paying? That, that that's really market and some market market dependent. specific. Like, like yeah. you could be 80 grand a door. You could be 170 grand a door. Like it, you and both be could be even, acceptable. Like Tampa oh, would for, probably for be sure. more like the 170, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. or even 200. Like yeah. it's, it's more about. Um, it's more about where the Delta, like where you can, where the property is today and where you mm-hmm. can take it. Um, yeah. That's what matters most. Not really like buying on a per, right. because we could buy like 80 grand a door and you can't like, do anything to it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no money. Yeah. There. Yeah. No, I was just trying to get an idea for a ballpark, you know, of spending. So um, obviously so many moving parts, um, you know, there's so many uh, tangents we could go down in terms of your due diligence process. I mean, are you tying properties up for X number of days or are you just firm on the dotted line and you'll figure it out with a good long closing? Well, the, the way the market is now, um, you know, you're, uh, you're putting hard money down on, on the dot. So, you know, you're putting 300 grand up front and, uh, you know, due diligence, uh, what's due diligence these days. Uh, yeah. so, so you really have to do a lot of your, uh, work ahead of time. Um, because like you're, you can't, Unless you're in a very sleepy market, like for instance, in uh, Texas right now, like you are putting down big deposits, like no conditions, like you're you're closing like very quickly. Um, So that's just the way things are. Um, So, you know, eventually, you know, the market ebbs and flows and, you know, eventually it'll go back uh, the other way. But right now, like you have to be on the ball. 
Um, like property goes up, they're doing an offer date. And basically you're, you're doing your underwriting, you're talking with your lenders, you're running your models uh, for like the week and a half before offer date. And then you're submitting and uh, you know, so, sometimes there's a lot. So, so you just do what you can do. Okay. So you find a good deal and then you start raising money in the, in the uh, closing period, I'm guessing that's typically. Yeah. 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 So um, you're under the gun um, if you're doing a, following a syndication model. So, and, and that's why it's so important to have your investors primed uh, before you actually have a deal under contract. Um, so a lot of work goes like in the front end. Um, so yeah, like for instance, like you, you don't want to have a long closing because you know, let's face it, the property manager knows they're probably losing their job. Um, you know, everybody knows involved knows the owner knows you're selling it, so they don't want to pump you more money into it. So the longer closing, like you can actually have some effects on the property. So you want to keep things nice and tight, uh, but also still have uh, time to do your raise. So you know, it, you could raise, you know, uh, some people I, I know now like they're. they're they're closing like very, very quickly, like, you know, three or four weeks. Um, others, like you could be a, a month and a half, two months, all depending on the situation. But yeah, it's, it's tight. Yeah. Very interesting. And we could, we could talk uh, about this for hours. Like there's so many moving parts in, in this. Um, do you have like connections on the U S side, like that you've partnered with on this uh, kind of your boots on the ground? Cause you live Burlington, don't you? Or in the area? Oh yeah. It, it's, yeah, yeah, I, I'm in Milton, and uh, oh, Milton. especially with the way, um, especially with the way like the border was over the past couple of years, like mm-hmm. you know when everything was closed, uh, there was no way I could. As much as I would love to fly down and just check out a property and fly back, it was not happening. So yeah, we, we've got guys kind of all over. So if a property's within a couple hour drive, like they'll go check it out. Uh, you know, do the uh, do the FaceTime uh, type of uh, tour for me. And, uh, and, and that's been working out, but as things open back up, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to actually, you know, going back down and seeing everybody who I haven't seen for like two years. Nice. Okay. Uh, Seth, where do, uh, do people find you? Like, where do we send them if they want to learn more about you and what you're up to? Yeah, well, I would say the best place to find me in the next couple of months is the multifamily conference. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's, that's May 14th and 15th. Okay. Um, in the, in Toronto. Um, so they can go to multifamilyconference.ca and, uh, we can actually do a, a discount code for everybody. We can do, sure. uh, why don't we do hi, um, your last name, Heinz. Heinz. Okay. Yeah. H I N E S. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll do a special discount code, but other than that, um, they can find me on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Seth Ferguson. We publish a new multifamily video every week. Cool, man. I'll have to check it out. I have not, uh, not yet seen that. And then of course they can catch your, your uh, TV show. When do you air? Yeah. Um, you know what? I don't even know because like, uh, it gets replayed and everything. I have no idea. I just show up and do it. <laughs> I, I, like I, th- that. I think it's, I think it's Tuesday nights. Gotcha. Um, that, uh, they do it, but, uh, yeah. sometimes when I'm getting groceries, people will uh, recognize me. <laughs> All details actually yeah. happened to my wife. My wife has a, a TV show and someone we were just uh i think we were at denninger's or something and somebody uh looked over and they're like you're on tv <laughs> like oh it's about bound to have it i get that with the podcast sometimes actually yeah. they're like oh, i know you so it's weird small small world you know yeah these communities so anyways okay seth this uh this was great uh there's so much more i could ask you but uh we'll save that for round two and uh hopefully uh, a bunch of people are gonna hear this and and uh, check out your conference 
Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. I'll see you on the next one.